The theme of Romans is God's righteousness. Um, in chapter 1, we saw, uh, last few weeks, we saw Paul explain who he is, um, what the gospel is, and why we need God's righteousness. Really, we could say the theme of Romans also is just the gospel, ultimately. Um, it, gospel means the good news. It's the good news that Jesus Christ died to pay for sins. He rose to conquer death, and he offers the free gift of eternal life to anyone who believes. Um, so we get that eternal life through faith in Christ. And then we live out the Christian life through faith as well. Last week, we saw that the wrath of God is revealed um, because the world suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. Remember, we talked about how it's like if you're in a uh, pool and you have a beach ball, you hold it underwater. What happens is like it's trying to come up, right? So you're suppressing the beach ball underwater. So just like that, the world suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. Um, and they're holding it down. And our goal is to like remove their hands and get hit in the face with the, the truth, right? Um, so this is because they know from creation that there is a creator. The, by the world, it says in verse like 18, 19, 20, um, know that there is a creator. We have an example of, say, you walk by the Lego store and there's an immaculate um, uh, display of Oklahoma State University, all with Legos. And you're like, wow, who built that? And they're like, we took a whole bunch of boxes of Legos and we just threw them on the ground about a thousand times. And this came up. You'd be like, you're dumb, right? Um, but in the same way, right? Um, the world will say that, oh, it's a random chance that we got to where we're at, even though it's an ordered universe and all those things. And so they made it evidence that the creation shows that there is someone who has divine power, eternal power, and a divine nature that has created the world. And therefore, they see that. And so therefore, since they denied the truth, they believe lies and speculations instead. They believed in gods and goddesses who themselves were like sinful. Um, they worshiped creatures, or they put aside scientific truths and instead speculate that we evolved from monkeys. Yes, I firmly believe that evolution is a speculation. And yes, I've researched evolution. It doesn't work with science or the Bible. So, um, sorry, I'm just throwing out all these things right here. But if you're here last week, you would have heard a lot more. Um, so, uh, and you can come talking about this if you'd like to. But because they believe these lies, um, they basically, uh, their foolish hearts were darkened. And so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Right? We saw a list of sins. It starts out with females changing out the natural relations for that which is unnatural. And it says, in the same way, the males abandon the natural function of the female, burning in desire for one another, men with men, committing the shameless deed. The literal what it says there. Um, and so it talked about homosexuality was, um, was talked about as the first on that list. And it goes on to a whole list of ways people sin and are given over to depravity. And some of those things on that list, it's like disobedient to parents, gossips, murderers. And you're like, wow, okay, some of these are a little bit different than the other ones. Um, but uh, in all reality, we see that they're all sins, right? And they're all going against God's natural order. Chapter 1 ended with this, verse 32. He says, And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Too bad our culture is nothing like this, right? Um, no, our culture is very clear like this. Sin is paraded around and celebrated and encouraged. Um, and we said that when looking at this list, we spot a few things maybe we've done in this list of like 27 or so through, through the end. And we may not publicly support those who practice these sins, but privately maybe we are, right? Maybe we're disobedient to our parents or boastful, gossips, greedy, etc. those things that are in that list. So we can't just sit back and say, wow, I can't believe the world is this sinful while we're sitting here doing the exact same things. So this morning we're going to look at God's impartiality um, in his justice. So 
Look at Romans 2. I'm going to read the first 16 verses before we get started. All right, so we're at Romans chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who pass the judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, that when you pass judgment on those who practice such things, and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, knowing, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteousness judge, or righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory, honor, immortality, eternal life. <clears throat> But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who were just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles do not have the law, instinctively do the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately, accusing or also defending them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the thoughts, uh, judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the powerful um, letter uh, to the Romans that Paul wrote. I pray this morning as we go through this that your words would be um, heard and applied in our lives. That would be encouraged or edified as needed. For all this in your son's name. Amen. Um, you know, so we talked about how we do so okay state, what we call it evangelism on uh, Tuesdays. And if you ever share the gospel anytime, there's many different ways to start the conversation, right? Um, there's, you know, do you ever talk about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Right. Um, you have, do you mind if you take a spiritual survey? Kind of way to do it. Or do you have a church you go to, a church you attend to, right? And kind of just ask that to get, to get involved, um, there. Um, I think my favorite one by far is, do you think it's okay to eat babies? Right. Um, and I do use this a lot whenever I share the gospel. It's my favorite because it kind of gets people, right? That's kind of a hook. You don't expect to see someone to come up and talk to you that they're going to ask you if it's okay to eat a human child, right? Um, also, now that I have a human child, it's an object lesson, right? I'm like, would you eat this? No, um, no. but um, it's a good hook, right? Like, it gets people engaged. And people have no idea where we're going with this question. Um, we get a lot of, like, is this, like, a vegan thing? Like, vegetarian thing? Or are you, like, here to convince me against abortion? Like, what's happening? And I'm like, one of those is closer than the other. But no to both of those. Um, the goal of the question is, where does the morality come from? Because there's no one who says, yeah, I see no problem eating a human child. Right? It's fine. Um, and if there is, I just call the cops right there. Right? No. Um, they probably have human children in their basement. Um, so only a few people are like, I mean, I guess if it's like me and a baby on a deserted island, and it's like one of us is going to die, well, if I eat the baby and I'll live, maybe that could be an okay thing. Right? People might say to that extent. That's about the only time we ever get people saying, like, yeah, I could see maybe it being okay, right? Otherwise, they're like, no, not okay. Not if you just see a baby, you're like, oh, I'm hungry, right? <laughs> like, people are like, no, it's not. And so the next step I go through to ask them is, 
why? Why is it wrong? First of all, I say, I agree that it's wrong. I'm not here to like advocate. Um, I say, why is it wrong? And the answers go everywhere at this point. Like, it's illegal. My parents told me it's wrong. Society would not be happy with me. Um, or it hinders the advancement of the human race. Right? Um, all things that don't really have a basis for why it's wrong. Right? It's illegal. Okay. Um, who makes up laws? People. Why did everyone agree that this is wrong? Right? So there's not really a basis. So it goes back to why do they think it's wrong? Right? Um, your parents taught you? Who taught your parents? Right? So I said, like, why did they agree that this was wrong? Right? Once again, there's no basis for why this is actually wrong. Look society and see what's what's wrong. Well, once again, what's society made up of? People. And they all agree that this is wrong. Why do they think this? Also, this is where you pull the Nazi card. right? Nazi Germany, they had some things their society said that uh, we would not agree with being right. right? They said that Jews had no value to do experiments and kill them and it didn't matter. Right? So we're looking at society really to see what's right and wrong. Um. It hinders the human race, right? <coughs> why do you think humans should continue unhindered? Right? Why is that a morally good thing? Where do you get the idea that humans have value in the first place? Why is it valuable for humans to keep going? So ultimately, um, the perspective of the world is that there is no reason <coughs> to not eat a baby right? or kill another human, right? especially if you believe in evolution. So I will the fittest. Right? That's what evolution talks about. If they have a job you want, kill them, get their job. Nothing's wrong with that. That's just evolution, right? But um, people will say, no, that's not right, <laughs> right? Um, because people know that there is morality. There is good and bad. There's wrong you can do. The world has no reasoning for this strong sense of morality, but they do have it, right? Even unbelievers have a conscience. They know what is right and what is wrong, right? Because we know that a, each individual person is made in the image of God. And so, in, intrinsically, we know that humans have value. That's why we have, like, Chick-fil-A and not human filet. Right? Like, there's a reason why we do animals right, instead of, of humans. We know that there's a difference between humans being made in the image of God. So, intrinsically, even unbelievers know that there's value in human life. That's why it's wrong to eat a baby, right? So, the world has morality without having God. And our passage this morning actually talks about that and explains that. So, here's the outline this morning. God's impartiality. We have hypocrisy is condemned. Um, we have God's justice. And then we have all are doomed. I couldn't think of a better way um, to say this. But all are doomed pretty much sums it up. Um, and we'll get into more dooming um, things in the future with this passage too. So um, so we want to start this morning with the, as judgmental of a mindset as possible. So we feel the most conviction as possible. All right. So let's do that. Look at Romans 2 verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you passes judgment. For in that which you judge one another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. And we know that judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things, do the same yourself that you will escape the judgment of God? So I think this is the coolest part um, of the passage, one of the coolest parts of this passage. Here's why. We came off in Romans 1, 18-32, of an explanation of how wicked the world is. And how they applaud others for doing these sins and falling into these sins and doing them. And it's super easy uh, because we say, look, they know that there's a God and they just hate God because they love their sin. Easy for us to be like, 
these worldly people, can you believe them? It even says in verse 18, they're without excuse. And then you start chapter 2, and he says, therefore you have no excuse. Every one of you passes judgment. Oh, no, right? Um, something that's flipped over on us. So in chapter 118, he says they're without excuse. And now in chapter 2, he says, well, okay, you think you're better than them. You're also without excuse. No excuse for you either. Um, to be to, to to relate with the college students more, Paul spits straight fire in these lines, no cap. So, um, um, anyone who passing judgment yet is doing these things, right? Um, you condemn yourself, right? If you're like, hey, you're sinning, it's like, well, you're sinning as well. So if you're judging them, you're also condemning yourself, right? In that same in that same way. But the answer is not then to say, well, then they aren't that bad, right? That they're sinning, but oh, whatever, it's fine, cool. Because God's judgment is rightly falling on these people. We know that God's judgment is right for people who are falling into these sins. Right? Um, we talked about these sins last week. It says God's judgment rightly falls on those doing these things. I think we see this applying to a lot of people, like applying to us being judgmental as believers. But I still think Paul is talking about unbelievers here. So imagine you're an unbeliever and you're reading um, this this section, this letter from Paul, right? And you're seeing what's being said. And you say, unbelievers, and they think they're a culture and a class above the debauchery of the world, right? And they're like, they look at this section 1, 18 to 32, and they're like, well, I'm not that bad. I don't identify with these people who are living this life of sin and worshiping the creature out and the creator and all these things. Like, I actually don't agree with some of those things right, that, that are said here. But they do practice those sins, right? These are hypocritical unbelievers who say, no, those things are bad, and they still live in a life of sin. Right, people who are like, oh, heavens, that's terrible, right? And then like, but they also are like gossiping and they do all these bad things and slandering other people at the same time. And so they might even expect God to show them mercy because they're like, well, I don't do that bad of stuff. So I'm going to stand before God and it'll be fine. Like, I'll, I'll do more good than bad, right? Anybody heard that before? Yeah, I've done more good than bad. So I think God will show me mercy. I'll be good, right? Um. But no, they will not escape the judgment of God. These are moralists, self-righteous moralists. Right? They're like, I'm good, right? I've done, I've done better than these people over here, so I'm good. I don't have to worry about this whole idea that there's like, I'm not just needs to be needs to be um, paid for. There's no judgment for that. But they will not escape judgment because they still do evil. They still do bad. They expect that they live good enough that all their own works will bring them a good standing before God. Um. Yeah, anyone ever come across someone who said that before? Like, I've done enough good, I think that I'll be good. Right? Yes, definitely, right? Um, if there are believers who even said that, talk about people who are unbelievers who don't even claim that there's a God and that they're saying, like, yeah, but if there's God, I think I've done enough good that I'll, I'll be fine. So whatever happens, happens. It's like, why do you care if you don't believe there's a God, right? Um, so it kind of shows that Romans 1. Everyone knows that there is a God. Um, yeah, like I said, they might look down and say, good heavens on those who practice what we see in Romans 1, yet their lives are... Are their private lives any better, right? What are their thoughts? Does God know our thoughts? Yes, right? So his his judgment is based on truth. He knows the whole picture, right, of what's happening with someone. Not, well, in circumstance, you know, this happened. No, he knows exactly everything involved in it, what your thoughts are and everything. So something that their, their thoughts are not seen from the outside, that they won't be judged for these sins by God. Just because they aren't seeing their judgment right after they do something doesn't mean that there's not judgment to them. Right? Just because it's like, well, I didn't murder someone. I just hated them in my heart to the point where I wanted to murder them. Right? 
he's like, well, then I got away with it, so I'm good. No judgment there. Um, it's not what we see here. Look at verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? So God not destroying you in his wrath right then, because you're getting, isn't not because you're getting away with it. It's because he's given you time to repent, right? What's the word repent mean? Change your mind, right? In this scenario, we ask, change your mind about what? It's metanoia in the Greek. Change your mind. Change your mind about what? We see it's a sinful lifestyle, right? And the idea that, like, I'm just going to keep sitting because there's no judgment happening to me, right? So it must be fine. I'm getting away with it. Change from thinking that your sinful lifestyle isn't bad because you're not getting instantly punished to the fact that God isn't killing you because he's giving you time, right? He's giving you time to believe in him and turn from those things also, right? Change your mind about what you're doing. Uh, it says God's, uh, you take lightly the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, right? His long suffering. He's like suffering through this because of his love that he has for you. And it's meant to lead us closer to him, not to use his mercy to sin more. That's just being, that's kind of their, their mindset. Well, I'm not seeing the punishment for it, so I'm just going to keep on doing it. Right, it's fine. I was like, no, you're taking lightly this mercy. So to continue to live in sin is to take God's love lightly, basically, is what's being said here. It's a light view of God's goodness and mercy to continue to live in sin. Okay, to make it more a little more application with us, imagine whenever you're younger, right, and you turn like, um, uh, so how many of us were able, like, how do I say this? Um, anybody else remember the time whenever they were like allowed to go somewhere, like drive somewhere on their own, and the parents were like, yeah, you can go to this party, you can go to this whatever thing, just hang out with your friends, right? Maybe a couple of us um, had friends. Um, so, um, no, but like you have some, they're able to go out and do something. Your, your parents give you a little bit more freedom, and you're like, yes, my older son's got to do this, and I finally get to do it, right? I finally get to go out and like be free and like do things, right? Um, and then say you use that freedom to do things you know were wrong, right? And like, yeah, I'm going to go do this. And then you're like, do something totally different. And you're like, not do things your parents would agree with and don't like and like all this stuff. And you're using the freedom that they give you to sin, right? To do the disobedient and to like stay out longer, all that kind of stuff. You're taking for granted the freedom they give you, right? Kind of the same idea I think here, right? God's like, yeah, you're not destroyed right now. And give me a little more freedom to do this. And then it's like, but I want you to come to come back, right? To, to, I'm letting you have this freedom so that you know my love for you and the grace and the mercy I'm showing for you. Um, instead, it's taking a light view of God's love to just abuse that. Take it for granted, right? Taking that grace and mercy for granted. And so it says, do you think lightly of the riches? He uses a lot of uh, these questions in Romans. Um, Paul uses a lot of questions of like, or do you think this, right? Um, and it's, it's a rhetorical thing of like, hey, this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. Right? So, so it takes a light view of God's love. These people are um, basically thinking, I'm not as bad as these people that I see in Romans 1, right? The world is so bad. I'm better than that. I live a generally good life. But he's like, you're still going to be judged, right? Because you're hypocritical, right? You're saying they're sinning and like you're sinning as well. And God's justice will come on you for this. And you thinking you're getting away with it is just taking lightly his kindness of not destroying you in that moment. Right. That makes sense so far? We're going. Okay, so verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath 
and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. So there will be a day that God will show himself fully to the world, everyone will stand before him. And the day of revelation of the righteous judgment of God, the day when his judgment comes down, talking about this a lot in Revelation, right, in the main service, um, he will condemn, right, sinners and all they've done. He will kill, condemn sinners and all they've done. If the self-righteous person, we're talking about the self-righteous person here, is banking on their works to get them by, how's that going to work for them? Not very well, right? They're like, yeah, I've done enough good. I'll be fine, right? It's not going to go well because you're storing up wrath for yourself. If there's one thing you don't want to store up, it's God's wrath, right? You don't want to be like, okay, here's a little stockpile. And this is like Blake's stockpile, right? Um, you don't want to store up that wrath for that day whenever he's like, listen, I gave you so many times to turn to me and you didn't do it. You instead kept using my mercy as a, as a means to, to just keep on sinning, living this lifestyle. So when that day of judgment comes, it will be an impartial judgment. And he says, um, uh, render each person according to his deeds, right? Each person according to his deeds. So impartial judgment. And there will be two outcomes. Look at verse 7. So the outcomes are, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and mortality, eternal life. But those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. So, those who are doing good, always doing good, preserving doing good, you get eternal life. Those who do not obey truth, wrath and indignation. You never get a little bit uncomfortable at this verse when you're reading through Romans? Why? It doesn't sound like free grace. <laughs> Well, it just sounds like do good and you'll have eternal life, right? But notice, it sounds like that, but it says those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and mortality. So, question. If you always did good works, would you go to be with God and have eternal life? If you never sin, right? Always do Perseverance in doing good constantly, right? Yes, right? Um... If you do evil, don't be the truth at all, or you're not going to. Any of us in here never done anything wrong? Never gain Never, right? One lie, already got, you already started. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> so what we see is, no one is righteous, right? 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned and fall short. And so he's setting this up like, yeah, if you're always good, then you're fine. You're good. If you've done anything wrong, well, then you're going to be judged, right? wrath and indignation but you get <coughs> and so no one is righteous he's setting this up to say that like yeah if you do perfectly then you're good but if you don't then you're not good right um he's going to explain that more as we go through this he says in verse 9 there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil of the jew first also of the greek but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good jew first also of the greek for there's no partiality with god so those who do evil have tribulation and distress. Doesn't matter who you are, Jew or Greek, um, no matter what race, what what class you are. Everyone who does good will have honor and peace. Doesn't matter who you are, Jew or Greek, because there is no partiality with God. Anyone here ever done anything evil? Okay, where would we fall into then? The, the the bad category, right? The wrath and the nation, the, the not good thing. Um, well, the first one here, I guess, tribulation and distress. So if he looks at your deeds to see what you've done, that's what you're going to be judged by. If you've done evil, you're given tribulation, distress, and wrath. If you've done good, you're given eternal life, honor, and peace. 
God is an impartial and perfect judge. These people who claim to be so much better than the world, yes, still sin, aren't getting away with it. They're going to get away with it. God will still judge them impartially based on their deeds because no one measures up. That's the kicker. Everyone does evil, right? So everyone deserves the punishment. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. What's a wage? Yeah, an earning, right? A payment, right? A paycheck. So it's like the wage of sin is death. So you sin and your paycheck is death, right? That's what you get whenever you whenever you sin. That's what, that's what you earn. So it says the wages of sin is death. You deserve death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the free gift, which is not something that we earn, is eternal life in Christ. Right? We place our faith in him. And so no one measures up. We said in Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. We all sin. So what we earn is death. We earn that, that, that wrath and indignation. This is in verse 12. And so we're kind of explains it. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. It's not the hearers of the law who are justified for God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So he's just talking about, remember, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek. That's why he's talking about the law suddenly out of nowhere. Because right? the Jewish people had the law. And the Gentiles, the Greeks, and so didn't have the Old Testament law. Those without the law, you have the law, you don't measure up. You have a conscience, you don't measure up. Is what he's saying, basically. Those without the law um, will perish, don't measure up without the law. Those who are under the, the Jewish law will perish under the law. Um, how many commandments did we know for an Old Testament? 613, right? And there's no way you measure up. Right? Look at the first 10 commandments, and it's like, um, do not envy your neighbor's things. And we're like, oh, well, I'm already I'm already gone. I'm like, not even in the 10th commandment yet. Um, and so we just don't measure up under the law. And so just because the Jews have the law doesn't mean they're given some special treatment. Like, well, you have the law, so I'll give you a little grace. Right? No, actually, you're judged by that law, by the 613 commandments. It doesn't matter if you hear the law. It matters if you follow it. Just like your professor or your boss says, hey, um, here's this project, here's the parameters, here's what you can get done. And they're like, cool, sounds great. I remember everything they said. And then you don't do it. Right? What, like, what's going to happen? You're not, not going to grade, or you're not going to get yelled, or you don't have a job anymore. I don't know, depending on what kind of thing it was. If you're like in the hospital, like, hey, make sure you give them this blood and you do these things. And like, sounds good, and you don't do it. What mattered was you needed to do it. Just hearing it doesn't matter. Just hearing the law and knowing the law as a Jewish person doesn't matter if you don't follow it. Right? Think about this in James, right? Don't be just a hearer but an effectual doer. So the Jews are given um, special revelation from God on how to act. The Old Testament, right? Um, it was the law. They saw it, and there's no way to follow it because they're like, that's 613 commandments. There's no way. But the point is the law wasn't made to be like, Hey, here you go, follow this, and that's the only way you can have eternal life. That's how you can be perfect. Right? Because no one's going to be able to be perfect. The law shows you your sin and shows the need for a Savior. Right? That was the point of the law. It's like, look, here's perfection. Here's my holiness. Try to follow it. People are like, nope, that's not happening. Um, that's why he also had like coverings for sin, all that kind of stuff. But it shows you that I can't do it on my own. I need a Savior. I need somewhere to, to someone to help me with this. The Jews were given this revelation. So are they held more accountable then than Gentiles? Well, at the beginning, we talked about this. Even unbelievers know it's wrong to eat a baby. Right? And 
so even they know something about God's commands without knowing God. Look at verse 14. The Gentiles, not the Jews, right, who do not have the law, do instinctively the things of the law. These, not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law is written in their hearts. And conscience bearing witness, thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So even the Gentiles, not having the law, know what right and wrong are. They have what is called a conscience. God has written on their heart that there is right and there is wrong. They know this. They get angry at things like injustice right, and oppression. They see things as morally right or morally wrong without having any basis for it in God. Right? Because it shows that God has written it on their hearts and shown them that there is right and wrong. So unbelievers have morality without having God's word or the Holy Spirit. Unbelievers have the law of God written on their hearts and this bears witness to them when they stand before God. Because they're like, God, you didn't tell me the law. You didn't tell me how to follow you. He's like, well, you knew this is wrong, so why'd you do it? You knew what you were doing was wrong, so why'd you continue to do it then? Like, okay, you don't go by my standard. How about the standard that you have for yourself? I don't think any of us in here, if we even tried to live up to our own standards, could do it. Right? A lot of times we might even have higher standards for ourselves than we should have. Right? And so we're not going to live up to our own standards. Unbelievers won't be able to live up to their own standards as well. If I ask anyone when we go and evangelize, like if they're an unbeliever, like, hey, you ever done anything wrong before? They're like, hey, yeah. Right? And they don't even know about God's word or about anything like that, but they know they've done wrong. So God's going to hold them accountable. Okay, your standard says you've done wrong. So why did you do wrong? Right? And that's what they're going to be held accountable for and judged for. The Jews were given revelation through the law. But the rest of the world is still made in his image, and it still has been revealed to them what is right and wrong. So the Jews had special revelation through the law. Everyone has revelation written on their hearts about what is right and what is wrong. And so no matter what, Jew, Gentile, whatever, it shows you know you've done wrong. And if you have the law, you're judged under the law. If you don't have the law, you're judged by your own conscience, and you still don't measure up. Such a happy ending to today's passage, right? Both groups still sin. Both groups come under judgment. Don't have the law. Their own conscience accuses them. Those who have the law, the law. By the law, they're judged. And there's no secrets to God, right? He judges in truth and righteousness. Um, so people can look at this previous chapter and they can say, I'm better than that, right? I'll be fine. I won't come under God's wrath because I generally try to live a good life. But Paul exposes them for their hypocrisy. They still sin all while looking down on sinners. We as believers can get that same attitude, right? Of being like, the world, right? These people, or even these other believers who are living in sin, right? We forget the only reason we're here is because of God's grace. Right? The only way we're able to be here at all is because of God's grace. We can't look down and be like, I can't believe the world is acting like the world. Like, that's just dumb, right? To be like, the world is being worldly? <gasps> you guys gotta see this, right? And it's like, well, duh, the world's acting like the world. Right? They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have they don't these things. They're gonna be following their flesh more. And then we can look down on that, but then how much do we secretly take, take part in these sins we condemn? Right? How much do we think badly about people or think wrongly about the way we look at people? So God's um, mercy of not immediately punishing those who sin in secret is not that they're getting away with it. He's just giving them time to turn to him. And we see that these who persevere in doing good get eternal life. And those who do evil get 
wrath and indignation, right? Um, and even with that revelation through the law or through it being written on the heart, no one measures up. And God's righteousness means he is impartial. So Greek or Jew, they all fall short. They fall short, no matter what. Everyone falls short, and that's the point that Paul is getting at. That's why he wrote this part of Romans 2. Is that he's like, look at how bad the world is. Okay, you say, I'm not that bad. Well, you are, actually, right? Like, you don't measure up. If you have the law and try to follow it, like, I know God's law. It doesn't matter, right? You still don't measure up to his law. Like, okay, I didn't have the law, so I'm, I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm excused. It's like, no, but you know what you did was wrong. And so you're without excuse either. What do you think Paul is building up to? Yeah. Because right now, it's kind of a depressing thing. And I've actually been evangelizing with people before, and I've been like, yeah, the, God says that, like, um, you know, a sinner has their place in hell for eternity. And have you sinned? And I'm like, yeah, like, I've done wrong before. Like, yeah, I have too. So, well, I'm not talking to you, right? <laughs> Just leave, right? <laughs> That's not the point, right? That's like the bad news of the gospel. The gospel means good news. And the good news is Jesus Christ came, lived a sinless life, the only one who ever has, the God-man. And he died and took our sins upon himself, right? Those things that we fall short of, right, of either it be the law or be our own conscience that we fall short of, he took those on himself and died and got the <laughs> wrath and the nation from God on him, right? So that we don't have that on our accounts anymore, right? Our accounts don't have all that sin. It's all placed on him. And then we get eternal life, right? He rose from the dead to show that he still had to die physically to show that, like, hey, I, I rise from the dead. I have the authority to give you eternal life. Death has no power over me. But we place our faith in him, and he gives us the free gift of eternal life. Right. And that's the good news of this. This is all leading towards that good news of believe in Christ and you have eternal life. All fall short. God is impartial in the judgment, so we're out of luck. What's really cool is that Romans 3.23 says, um, actually, I'm just going to go there real quick. You know, Romans 3.23 is kind of a, a sad verse we think of. And we're like, oh, man, this is so sad because it says, um, all fall short. Uh, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But if you look at the context around it, um, verse 21, it says, um, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Right? Righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace to the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. Right? So no distinction here as well, it talks about it. And no distinction. All fall short, and all are only declared righteous through faith in him. Right? So that's the good news part of this. He's just, we got to stop at the halfway point, right? Of the, hey, uh, everyone sucks. All are doomed, right? Like I said before, no matter what. So next week we're going to look at the Jews. Are they using um, their Jewishness to see themselves as superior to the Gentiles? Right. So like we're we're, we're the Jews. We have this revelation from God. So we're we're, we're better than Gentiles right? and stuff. It's like, hey, what's actually happening? He's going to kind of turn to them real quick. Because remember the the Roman Church was started off Jewish. The Jews were told to leave Rome for five years, and they came back. And it's mostly Gentile with some of the Jews there. Okay. Any questions before we go to discussion or application? Why do you think Paul felt the need to like point all this out for people who were already believers? Yeah, um, I think he's doing the most. Um, that's why I think that we could also have this um, be the theme be just the gospel. 
because he is setting up. He hasn't been to Rome before, remember? And he's setting this up as like, hey, I've been there before. Here's a foundation of theology before I get there. Um, and the first like big chunk of it is just like theology more so. The last part of it is a lot more applicational. Um, and so I think he's saying like, here is the gospel. Here's God's righteousness is revealed through faith to faith. God's wrath is revealed through this. Here's the need for his righteousness. And so Romans 1, the last half of it is like, here's how the world is. Some people think, well, I'm not that bad. Well, actually, like, here's that. And so he's just really hammering into the Roman church. Like, here is the gospel. Here's the need for it, and here's how it's accomplished. Um, I think maybe, it's just me thinking, um, that he had talked about a lot of this with other churches that he'd been to before, maybe, but he's never even been here. And so he's like, here it all is, right, in a concise letter. So. <coughs> Like one of those professors that will send you a textbook when it's close on Monday. Yes, I guess. Um, yeah, I thought send me a textbook. Um, also, I think it's very important for believers to have their mind on the gospel. Right? It's the power by which we live the Christian life. Right? It says in Romans one sixteen, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, Jews first, also the Greek. I think that salvation can be not more than just like eternal life salvation, but like the power we have to live every single day is through the gospel. Right? And the good news that Christ died to pay for our sins, rose to conquer death, gives eternal life, and that we can look to him as our example to live that. And he gives us the power for that. So, yeah, that's my thoughts. Okay, we're going to do application, and then we'll have discussion time. So, first of all, be humble in our approach to sin, right? We all sin. We're only saved by God's grace. Um, and our position only comes from him. We can be very, it's easy for us to get very like, ah, sin, terrible. And it's like, well, yes, it is terrible. We should look down on sin, but we shouldn't look down on those people because we also sin as well, right? We shouldn't be so high and mighty, self-righteous in our approach to it. We should be humble and say like, hey, I sin as well. Let's try to figure this out. There's people who are, who are around us that are sinning. So we also sin, only saved by God's grace. Position comes from him. Understand that morality comes from God. Both believers and unbelievers know that there are morals, there are rights and wrongs. So use this as we evangelize. Talk to someone. It can be easy to be like, well, you're an unbeliever, so you don't have any morality. Um, and it's like, well, that's not true, actually. The Bible says they do have morality because God put it there. Um, I even was talking to someone once who was kind of debating me on this topic and was saying, well, I think that people can not have god and still have morals and i was like i agree right actually the bible says that that you have morals even though you don't have god so use as you're evangelizing and talking to people and then understand that our secret life is not hidden from god right like he knows everything we will all stand before him right romans 14 12 says so then each one of us the believers will give an account of himself to god we will stand before god and I'll ask us hey i gave you gifts talents abilities to serve me what'd you do with them it's not for salvation. No, salvation is a free gift because of faith in Him, have eternal life. But we will be rewarded based on how we live this life. Right? And how, we, how we're going to have our experience in eternity is dependent on how we serve Him now. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, uh, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Right? So our secret life, our thoughts are not hidden from God. And so take every thought captive. Thoughts that come in, make sure that you have like a bodyguard and a bouncer that's like you need to be in here right and like kick them out right if not i always think of um like the way i envision it is having like a swat team 
And like you can't control what thoughts come into your head, but you control how often, like how much you're mulling on them and thinking about them, right? And so like a thought comes in, and you're like, whoa, that's not good, and like send the SWAT team, and it's like, right, and just like destroy the thought, right? Right then, right there. So take every thought captive to the beings of Christ. Okay. So we'll discuss, we have about 10 minutes or so of discussion. Um, we'll split up, and um, we're going to split guys and gals again this week. And so we'll have like groups of five or so gals to stay in here. Guys can go out there. Um, and do you find it easy to fall into a self-righteous mindset? If not, maybe a self-deprecating one. And how can your mindset about sin glorify God better based on this passage? And then what we do differently this week based on this passage. So I'll pray and then we'll split up into that. Lord, we thank you for this morning once again. We thank you for your word. Um, God, we come to you and we know that it's so easy to be self-righteous, so easy to justify our sin, but we know that you are just, you are um, the the one who's judging us and that you're impartial in your judgment no matter who we are. So we thank you that, that you poured out your wrath on your son, Jesus Christ. And it seemed like such a terrible thing from the worldly view to see this sinless person that was, um, that was tortured and killed, uh, but we know that it's actually the greatest thing that ever happened and that he took our sin on, on uh, our sin on his, on him. And that by paying for that, we now have the, the ability to just come to you to um, place our faith in you and have eternal life and have it from that moment on. And that we can live each day by faith in you and that you give us the power to live each day to glorify you and not to live a life of sin, God. And so I pray the discussion would go well and that be fruitful. God, for all this in time, God. Amen. Thank you.